0: Pepperidge Farm Milano.
1: Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the Restless Ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And today we are talking about a figure in film history that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, And you may not know her name offhand, but you have seen her and you know her face. Uh, I think you maybe know her hair. <laughs> you do, for her famous role. And you probably have heard her famous scream, because after uh, she appeared as the love interest for Dr. Frankenstein's monster in The Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Elsa Lanchester really became a film icon. But her life story is so fascinating and insane, in a good way, um, that it's really better than many of the fictional stories she was part of uh but she it really is a, an icon of horror uh and particularly you know in those are in the fall and halloween time there are often lots of showings of the bride of frankenstein that go on where you can go see it in the theater sometimes remastered i always try to catch it uh and for the purposes of this podcast we're primarily focusing on uh, Elsa's early life leading up to her legendary role in James Whale's follow-up to Frankenstein. She was just such a character that we would, like, run on for literally days and days and days if we tried to cover her entire life in depth. because She had a very long career. She had a lot of interesting friends. She did a lot of interesting things. But as it is, we still have to do a two-parter, even just <laughs> covering kind of her early life leading up to her launch into fame as Frankenstein's Monster's Bride. Uh... And I just, I, she's one of those people that when I talk to people about her, as I do, <laughs> uh, and I start telling them things about like her childhood, they give me this look like this cannot be a real thing. Right. Cause it's pretty radical. Especially uh, considering when
1: yeah, she's growing up.
0: Yeah. So yeah, she was born more than a hundred years ago and some of the things that happened to her as a kid, even if it were happening today, and sometimes things like that do happen today, it would still be considered unconventional. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, we're going to kick off with some Elsa Lanchester. And first, we have to talk about her parents. Her mother was Edith Lanchester, and she was one of a family of eight children. And she was born in 1873 in Brighton. Her father was James Sullivan, and he was an Irish policeman's son. Edith and James met at a meeting of the Social Democratic Party. They were both socialists, and their politics were a really huge part of their life together. Yeah, uh... And the pair never married, which is kind of interesting. And again, keep in mind, we're talking about the late 1800s, early 1900s. They did not believe in marriage. Um, and this actually proved to be a little bit problematic for Edith. Her father and her brothers in 1895, when she had decided that she was going to live, you know, basically in a marriage type situation uh, with James, but they were not going to get married. Uh, her father and brothers kidnapped her for her radical beliefs. And they even... Um, had a certificate of insanity at the ready during this kidnapping. And on it, they cited, quote, over-education as the cause of her lunacy. (laughs) Like, this woman clearly has learned too many things, and it's given her crazy ideas. Right. So in in this context, a little bit problematic involves being kidnapped and institutionalized. By your family. (laughs) By your family. Uh, And they took her to a mental asylum. And this really was, basically, it all boiled down to the fact that she did not want to get married. And they could not comprehend how that could be a real life choice. Uh, and there were protests on the part of um, friends of uh, Edith and James that were part of their uh, political group. And James Sullivan worked really, really hard. And there was lots of paperwork and lots of hearings. And he finally was able to secure Edith's release. And the case actually became quite famous. It uh, was known as the Lanchester Kidnapping, and it was reported in international papers. And this incident really severed ties between Edith and her family for many, many years, understandably. Uh, And it also, interestingly, led to the reform of the so-called lunacy laws in Great Britain, because this was a woman who could speak very well on her behalf. She clearly was not in any way insane, Um, And yet she had been... But because of loopholes in the legal system, they were able to say that she was and have her committed. So it really led to a good bit of reform. Two years after this kidnapping, James and Edith gave birth to a son named Waldo. That was in 1897. And a little later, Elsa was born on October 28, 1902. Uh... Yeah, to say that she had an unconventional childhood is something of an understatement. Again, keep in mind, early 1900s. Uh, and it's no surprise that a couple like James and Edith were not going to be exactly average parents. Uh, there had actually been a London City Council ruling around that time that all children had to begin school at age five. But uh, the Lanchester-Sullivan household was not entirely compliant with that. Waldo actually did go to school. He went to a boys' school that was run by a socialist headmaster that they had befriended. His name was Frederick Kettle. But Edith wanted to homeschool Elsa because she felt like girls were not really going to get a valuable education in the school system. Right. So the family responding in, in part to this became really mobile. They didn't really stay in one place for very long. In Elsa Lanchester herself, uh, Elsa writes, We were always moving away from something that had overtones of legal involvement, however harmless. My mother always seemed to have the law on her side. She knew every loophole in dozens of bylaws. Vaccinations, census night, landladies who would not make repairs, and corrupt sanitary inspectors. My parents moved six times to avoid having me vaccinated because my brother Waldo had, quote, taken very badly six years before. The local greengrocer, a socialist, would move our few possessions in the night, which was called shooting the moon. So, yeah, they were already in a kind of an untethered lifestyle from pretty much day one. And because the family tended to move around a good bit, they really did avoid the prying eyes of the city council for quite a while. But when Elsa was six and a half, it, the jig was up. They got caught. Uh, and despite the fact that Edith could prove to the council that she was extremely well-educated and perfectly capable of passing knowledge to her children, uh, Elsa was not allowed to learn at home. They did not have a homeschooling setup. Um, and she had to enroll in a council school. But they also had a provision that Elsa would stay outside during morning prayers. Because in addition to being socialists and uh, kind of on the move in anti-vaccination, they were also atheists, which, again, is kind of an odd thing at this t- time in history. Uh, so Elsa would not participate in the prayers. Uh, and she was very bright and she knew about a great many things because her mother really had taught her a lot. But she struggled with the curriculum and structure in the new school. She tells a story in her uh, biography about them asking her a question, I think, about how to make change, like how many coins went into paper money, and she kind of panicked and ran away and cried because she didn't know the answer. Uh And because I think... This is somewhat my inference. Because she was a bright child, I think it really hurt her to not know a thing. And so that did not last. Um, She she did not do so well at the the council school. But eventually her parents made arrangements for her to attend the same school as Waldo that was run by their socialist friend, Mr. Kettle, even though she was the only girl there. So she went to an all-boys school. Uh, but was the only girl in attendance. But this arrangement seemed to work out much better for Elsa. She speaks very fondly of that time and the fun that she had learning and, and how it was less structured, so it really suited her learning style much better. In addition to all this uh, thinking about how her children should be ed- educated, Edith, who was called Biddy by her husband and children, also had the family on a strict vegetarian diet. James, who went by Seamus in the household was grudgingly allowed a little bit of meat on occasion because he believed that it was good for his rheumatism. Yeah, but Biddy allegedly would say all of the things that um, people say when they don't want someone to eat meat where he would be... Eating these little amounts of meat. There was a lot of pig's head discussion. If you read her biography and they would boil a pig's head and he would eat that. But she would, Biddy would always pass by him and say like, I hope you're enjoying your corpse. And (laughs) because she really was a very strict vegetarian. Uh, Again, this is a very surprising combo in this era to be an atheist socialist vegetarian (laughs) that is anti vaccination and and living in a non marriage Living in a non-marriage with your child enrolled in an all-boys school, even though she's a girl, it's a really unusual set of circumstances. Uh, However, in this vegetarian household, Elsa was really fascinated with and craved meat. Uh, She writes in her book, quote, The smell of frying bacon coming from houses on the way to school made me start to think that maybe my mother was a bit evil. Uh, eventually, she got into this habit where she would use her allowance. She got a penny per week for cleaning the kitchen uh, on the weekends. Uh, and she would spend this money that she earned on household chores to purchase OXO or Bovril cubes, which is basically bouillon cubes, uh, beef bouillon. And she would eat them secretly in kind of like this defiance of her vegetarian parents' Um and she talks about quartering them, like cutting them into four pieces and eating one piece at a time. And how she just thought it was the most delicious thing. Just kind of fascinating yes. to just eat bouillon. But if the salt is very the good. Salt is good. And, you know, salt that tastes meaty, if you have been raised vegetarian, might be very yummy if that's what you're craving. Yeah. The story also reminds me of, like, when I was a kid, there were things that were purchased from the grocery store that were for my dad's lunch that we were not allowed to have. And that meant that I wanted that the most. <laughs> I wanted those little Debbie cookies yeah. <laughs> more than anything else that was being <laughs> in oh, the house yeah. ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, kids will always, I I really think firmly, and again, I am not a parent, but kids will always find a way to rebel. Uh, and, uh, you know, for her, she lived in this very liberal, free-thinking household. Like, to rebel, she had to go in search of meat, which I think is kind of charming. Right. Uh, hey, Ollie, we have some exciting news.
1: So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.
0: And now we will return to the wonderful world of Elsa and her dance training. Yeah. Uh so, when Elsa was around 10 years old, uh, her mother, Biddy, befriended an American artist and dancer named Raymond Duncan. Uh, Raymond, at the time, was teaching arts and crafts classes in Chelsea, and all, like leather making, like making your own shoes, and uh, just all kinds of sort of interesting uh, classes. And Raymond found Elsa to be really quite a talented and interesting child. And when his sister, who happened to be the famous dancer Isadora Duncan, decided to start a dance school in Paris, Elsa, who was 11 by now, uh, was hand-picked to be one of the first students there, based on Raymond's recommendation. Uh, and all of the expenses for her training were to be paid by the school, which is really quite a cool opportunity for a kid. Uh, Biddy went to Paris with Elsa and got a job at the school. Uh, reading her autobiography, I Elsa was not very happy about this. She wanted to go off and do this by herself. And her mom was, she describes her as hovering over her all the time. The helicopter parent. Yeah, I think she just thought it was neat to go to Paris. Yeah. Um, Well, I would think that too. But again, she was 11, very independent, and wanted to go do it by herself. But I can see where most parents would not be cool with that. Yeah, let's talk about her independence. (laughs) Every morning, students were supposed to line up and kiss Isadora's hand and greet her. But in Elsa's own words... I just pretended to kiss it because the gesture was too much like bowing before royalty. A practice not favored in Biddy's and Seamus's world. Yeah, she doesn't speak very well of Isadora Duncan. No, I would not be about that either because germs. Yeah, well, and she if you see interviews with her, uh, when she appeared on Dick Cavett quite some time ago, she talks at length about her time at Isadora Duncan's school and... It's not kind. She does not think of the woman as lovely, although the time she spent there she really liked. But her account of her dance training under Isadora Duncan is really hilarious. Elsa was a very witty woman, and her writing is really fun to read. And she describes Isadora's training in the following way. Quote, I soon learned that all Isadora could do was teach us to run away from or toward an enemy or to become an autumn leaf or something. <laughs> <laughs> she basically thought she was going to get actual dance training, and what she got was kind of interpretive dance training that was more about feelings and thoughts and less about technique. Aside from the dance training, the students at this you know, really chic school led super glamorous lives. Limousines would take them to museums. They would be famous and important visitors in the school all the time, and they were fed lavish meals cooked by French chefs. Yeah, they got to go to the Louvre all the time as a group, and they got cute little outfits made for them. Uh, but unfortunately, World War I was looming, and most of the children that had homes that were outside of Paris were sent back to them, and Elsa was among those kids that, that ended up leaving the school. Yeah, shortly after the assassination of Archduke Francis Ferdinand in 1914, Mr. Kettle's Socialist School, uh, which is where Elsa had returned after her advanc- adventure in France, had to shut down. And Elsa was 12 at this time, and the legal age at which children were allowed to leave school was 14. So there had to be some alternate arrangements for her education. Yeah, and to keep her education going, they kind of worked out another interesting deal. There are always interesting deals, it seems, in her family's story. Um, Elsa ended up going to a co-ed boarding school at Kings Langley in Berkshire, and she earned her room and board there by teaching dance classes two to three times a week. Because even though she's only 12 at this point, she had spent time studying under Isadora Duncan, so she had this clout that, uh, they were able to kind of trade and say, no, no, she will teach your students the same thing she learned. Um, and, but she says of this arrangement, I knew I was quite unfit to learn or teach. And after her time being in France and, you know, being well fed and culturally stimulated and, you know, meeting interesting people at this dance school, she really found it quite unpleasant to return, uh, to London and, and to, you know, kind of have what she felt was a very mundane life. Uh, she found it unpleasant, and she did not stay in that assignment very long. So instead, she eventually found work as an assistant to one of Raymond Duncan's adult pupils named uh, Rose Benton. And she helped her out on this lecture tour about uh, Greek history and um Greek aesthetics. But once the tour fizzled out, because those things do not last forever, uh, Elsa continued to kind of trade in uh, teaching engagements. So as the war was going on, she was basically earning her keep by teaching. Since the Lanchester Sullivan household had always been political, it's really not surprising that Elsa's brother Waldo became a conscientious objector when his time was due for conscription into the army. After a tribunal questioning where Waldo was asked this long series of questions about his political and moral views, he was sent to Wormwood Scrubs Prison for a year in lieu of service. As the war went on, he was recommitted to prison several times. And in Elsa's account of this time, she says, I was sure that Waldo's being a CEO was due to Biddy's influence. I was too young and confused to know what to think. you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to the women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a city
1: far away. A fiction podcast.
0: The richest, most powerful place on
1: earth. On an epic scale. Bay. Tumon Bay. Tumon Bay. Tumon Bay. A vast empire threatened by rebellion power is everything power gives everything we have to get away from this place or we will die too the truth makes us strong Tuman bay is our destiny history and fantasy collide they are among us who first a few and now many from creators John Scott Dryden and Mike Walker.
0: The only thing I ask of you is total and complete loyalty.
1: Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp
0: and die for Tumen
1: Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Uh, and after the war, Waldo was re- released and he came home to live with the family. And like Elsa, he worked in a wide range of jobs to make ends meet, although he eventually settled into a career as a puppeteer, which their mother also worked in as well as one of her many, many things. And just as a brief aside, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Elsa, having grown up in this very political household, was kind of not all that political. Uh, Again, it's probably part of her rebellious spirit. Mm -hmm. But it was like she kind of recognized that there were a lot of machinations going on on the world stage. But she also recognized that she didn't always grasp what it all was. And I think she also didn't want to give it a level of import because she didn't want to give in to her parents and make them think that she was somehow supporting their ideals because she was a rebellious girl. Yeah. In her early adulthood, she was creatively very busy. In 1920, she made her dance hall debut as an Egyptian dancer, and she would perform in theatrical shows and cabarets for her entire life. Uh, Also in 1920, she co-founded the Children's Theater in London, and she worked there as a teacher for several years. And the way it was set up was that the lessons were given to children for free, so any child could come and take lessons. Uh, And to make money, the theater would put on performances that would fund the school's um, functions. And performances would include anything from, like, songs, sometimes they would do short plays, sometimes full-length plays, they would do dances, they would do adaptations of fairy tales and novels in both play and dance form. And these productions actually became really successful. Elsa worked very hard, and her students also worked very hard, and they put on really pretty impressive shows, considering that they were working on a shoestring budget. But they became successful to the point that they were actually making money, and that was a problem. Uh, The London City Council called Elsa in for questioning, and they actually accused her of exploiting the children under the Child Slave Act, because they were now actually turning a profit from these. The council forbade the last performance of the show that was running at the time. But Elsa arranged for the show to go on in the school's practice room instead of the theater, And with slips inserted into the program, notifying the audience that all proceeds for the show were going to the Save the Children Fund. After that, though, the theater floundered and it was eventually shut down. Uh, But at this point, Elsa had already moved on to another project. Yeah, she was a very busy lady. Uh, she and her partner at the time, Harold Scott, had had this vision for a nightclub where they could perform midnight plays. And in 1924, that vision manifested as a club called the Cave of Harmony. And this actually becomes a very important kind of uh, touchstone of her early creative life. And in its early stages, the nightclub was uh, in a space that they were actually renting by the hour. So they would move into this space late at night rent it for a few hours, put on their plays, and then leave. But before long, because it was becoming very successful, uh, they moved to a dedicated space. And there they continued to stage their cabaret acts and plays. And Elsa even had a loft built into the space so that she could sleep there on late nights if she wanted. But she also kind of used it as her own little uh, special getaway. And she wrote of her little balcony that she had built, In this comfortable den, I felt independent and secure. I could see down onto the dance floor through a small window, and I could retire if I wanted to and just listen to the music and the general babble. To supplement her income and make enough to eat and pay the rent during this time, Elsa did all kinds of other odd jobs. So she sat for painters and sculptors, and she took on uh, housekeeping work. And she also took on a series of jobs that technically were acting, but weren't maybe entirely on the up and up. Helping out couples who wanted to get a divorce. Yeah, so this is kind of a weird concept to me. I think it's awesome. Uh, It's interesting. uh, And I'll tell you why I think it's weird once we kind of explain what it is. So in instances where a wife had been unfaithful, uh, most husbands just sort of culturally at the time would try to do the right thing. And they wouldn't, even though their wife had perhaps wronged them, would not want her to be branded a so-called scarlet woman in a divorce. And so they would arrange to stage these affairs of their own, but often they weren't actual affairs. So Elsa would sometimes be contracted through a lawyer and she would be hired to meet with these men in a hotel and then to appear uh, in the morning so that the maid would see them alongside this gentleman in her pajamas. And this enabled the maid to testify that the husband had been seen in a hotel with a woman that was not his wife and this would cause the divorces to move along very quickly at that point, uh, rather than dragging on, because a man being unfaithful was more common and viewed as a pretty open and shut case in divorce proceedings, whereas a woman being unfaithful, they would drag on and get very messy. Yeah, well, and the man was less likely to be stigmatized forever than right. the woman was. Right. Uh, although the woman would also be stigmatized, you know, had she uh, been revealed as an adulterer, so basically they right, avoid a saying, stigma for everyone. Yeah, I'm saying days. that if, if the woman in the couple had been the ones that commit adultery, her stigma would have been much, much greater yeah. than if the finding was on that of the man. Yeah. Uh, and Lanchester is really clear in her autobiography that this was in no way a sexual arrangement. She's, it's interesting because she is such a free spirit, but there is a sort of, um, She has a sense of propriety in her writing, where she will be very open about some of her behaviors. But it's written in a sort of prim way, which is interesting. But she is really very adamant that, no, no, this was an acting job to me. I was not doing anything sexual. This wasn't um, uh, in any way uh, untoward romantically. But she does acknowledge that it's kind of outside the realm of pure legality, like that she knows it's not entirely right. And she didn't do it a lot because she had some misgivings about it not being entirely legal but it's kind of a fascinating job for a girl to have. Yeah, and you could go down a long rabbit hole about what what is more ethical in the situation. Yeah, and just for clarity, for her it was not stigmatizing because normally in such a case, even when it went to court, the mistress was not called to appear. Right. So, she could be she could remain anonymous as long as the maid could say, "No, I saw a woman that was not his wife." And usually the maids seemed to be in on it. <laughs> I'm imagining Divorce Hotel, and that's like, it's, it always is going down in the same hotel with the same maid and the same mistress, and let's uh, make a reality show out of that. Yeah. There are actually still laws in, on the books, in a lot of places that make divorce proceedings go differently when there is a documented adultery happening. So I kind of wonder, anyone ever still does something like this I'm today? I'm sure. I'm confident. Do you have the... adultery hotel reality show. Ah, that's okay. I don't need that. Okay, so through the Cave of Harmony, Elsa was just making connections with movers and shakers in the theater community. She was making a name for herself as an actress. As her acting career started to take off, her entrepreneurial work at the cave started to become less and less of a part of her life. And we're going to talk about the next big part of her life in our next episode. Yeah. Uh... It, it, because it launches really and becomes a lot more about acting and her career, uh, in the public eye then. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about all of that on the follow up episode. Yes. Do you have some listener mail for us? Absolutely, I do. This particular piece of mail is from our listener, Alex. And he says, Hi, Ollie and Tracy, I've been saving up some things to write about for a while now. Uh, ever since I started listening to the podcast, I finally had to write because of your podcast on Philo Farnsworth. The first thing I had to share with you was the source of inspiration, the other source of inspiration for the character of Professor Farnsworth in Futurama, namely Professor Hubert Dreyfus. I took a class by him when I was in college and heard from others that Farnsworth's character was based on him. After one lecture, I was convinced he looks and even speaks a lot like the character. Okay, to me, that is so charming. I want to enroll in that school and just take a class. Uh, Especially now that Futurama is over. Uh, later in the podcast, though, I was surprised to hear about the location of Philo Farnsworth's San Francisco lab. I work at the Exploratorium on Pier 15 in San Francisco, which sounds so fun to me, uh, just three blocks away from the old lab. I'll have to check it out now that I know. Incidentally, I listen to your podcast every day at work. I work in the biology lab taking care of the living things that we use for our many living systems exhibit. And I spend a great deal of time working on things by myself. So it's really nice to have a podcast to listen to every day. He also writes back a couple other podcasts, but I wanted to focus on the Farnsworth one because that's really fun. Yay! To find out that you live so close to something that is so cool and fun, uh, and I bet there's uh, there's still a plaque there as far as I know. So, Alex, if you go check it out, take a picture of the plaque. I think I've seen pictures, but it's better when it comes from a listener. It is. <laughs> um, if you would like to write to us and share your thoughts about uh, Philo Farnsworth or Elsa, or any other things, you can do so at historypodcast at Discovery.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash stuff, and we are on Twitter at Mist in History, and we are pinning on Pinterest, so you can check us out on all of those areas. If you want to uh, check out something having to do with today's podcast subject, you can go to our website, type in the word actors, and a fun quiz will come up called Quiz Know Your Frankenstein Actors. Uh, and it's a fun little one on many, many actors who have played Frankenstein, because much like Hamlet, it's one of those parts that everyone has to play. Uh. Do we have to play Frankenstein, or do we have to play Frankenstein's monster? Or both. Both. There are actors that uh, played both roles in that quiz, uh, as well as some other roles. And so uh, if you would like to learn more about that, or anything else that your mind can conjure up, you can do so at our website, which is howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC... Mac, or write to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now
1: I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to "Let's Be Real" with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The richest, most powerful place on earth—a fiction podcast, Duman Bay. Duman Bay. Duman Bay. on an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay.
0: Be sharp and die for Tuman
1: Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.